Over the last 12 years, agri-equities have outperformed the S&P 500. Welcome back to another episode of Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to engage the show, feel free to reach me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, true wealth comes from the earth, whether it is mined or grown. And in this podcast, we focus on natural resource investing, although we are predominantly focused on precious metals and mining. But today we're going to focus on agricultural investing. And I have an editor of an agricultural newsletter with me today. That's Ned Schmidt. He's the editor of the Agri-Food Value View Research Newsletter. Website is agrifoodvalueview.com. Ned, thanks for joining me. And how about we kick it off with the view from the International Space Station looking down on Earth. What What's that view of the supply and demand fundamentals of uh, the agricultural commodities right now? Well, Bill, what we're looking at on the Earth is last year, actually a little bit longer than that, was an outbreak of African swine flu in a variety of countries. And it is now struck in 50 countries. African swine flu kills a hog in less than a week. And the big place it struck was China. China consumes about 40% of the pork in the world. It's their favorite meat. And it destroyed the hog population in China. Hog pri- pork prices there are up over 100% from a year ago. This is disease is, like I said, in 50 countries. The only place it's not right now is in the Americas. And when I say Americas, I'm talking North, Central, and South, all of it. This continent is the only one where the African swine flu has not had an impact. So what we're seeing is a restructuring of the global animal protein market where the Americas become the producers of animal proteins. That's pork, beef, and chicken. Doesn't the U.S. also import chicken from China, from my understanding? And not that I know of. It wouldn't be significant anyhow, because China has historically not been a large chicken producer. They focused on pork. And to give you an example of that problem, China was farming was structured to produce pork, not chickens. Well, now that consumers in China can't buy or can't afford pork, they've started eating chicken and eggs in China. They can't produce enough of them. And egg prices are at record highs, and there's a shortage of baby chicks in China. So I don't know, Bill, maybe we should start chartering a plane to fly baby chicks to China. I don't know. (laughs) And uh, since we're talking (laughs) about the U.S. and China, what are the implications for the ongoing trade war? Well, the trade war complicates things because of the tariff. But what's happened is Chinese government is waiving the tariffs for pork importers. If you're a Chinese company and you want to import U.S. pork or beef, 
they will waive the tariffs. So the tariffs are a problem for U.S. exporters, but not necessarily a problem for Chinese importers. So it gets kind of messy there, trying to sort that out. The trade war has obviously been a problem because of the tariffs, but the Chinese always figure out a way to get around it. So animal proteins are one of the are one of the big changes that I think that investors need to be aware of going forward. The other one is one that's been going on longer, and that is we have surplus producers of grains and oils and a whole host of things that we eat. Those countries are, again, North America, South America, the Ukraine, and Russia. And so the companies that dominate the movement of those grains and process those grains offer a long-term opportunity for investors because there's very few of them out there. Those are the big things. Global movement of grains and oils and this shift in the importance of animal protein producers. You and I are both based in the United States uh, with this trade war and your analysis of agricultural investing opportunities. Where would you point the listeners to look for some of the best potential opportunities, let's say, over the next year? All right. There's... There are a group of stocks, which I call the meat stocks. And investors, these are, long, these are good opportunities, but I warn investors, you've got to be careful when you buy them because these things are so, they kind of trade strange, for lack of a better word. And there's three of them. One of them is J-B-S-A-Y. That's the U.S. symbol for the ADR. It's JBS is the name of the company. It's a Brazilian company, but 75% of their revenues come from the United States. They, they are a major beef producer. They're the largest beef producer in the United States. The other one is M-R-R-T-Y. And I use the symbols, Bill, because my Spanish is so bad I can't pronounce the name. So it is, it's another Brazilian company, trades in the United States. It is also an important beef exporter. It's the second largest U.S. beef company. They bought U.S. national beef a couple of years ago. The other one is chickens that come out of Brazil, BRF. It's the largest chicken exporters. So these three companies are basically the meat complex of the world. And China, because of their trade tiff with the United States, is looking to these Brazilian companies to provide them with animal proteins. And they, China recently approved nine, I think it's nine, plants in Brazil to export meat to China. The other area is, I talked a minute ago about this global grain exporting, 
there are four companies in the world that dominate the movement of grains around the world. And they're called the ABCD. That's Archer Daniels Midland in the United States, ADM, and I like that one. BG, which is Bunge, B-U-N-G-E. This company is restructuring, and I, I think they're go- doing it the right. It looks like it'll be an opportunity. But the other two are Cargill and Dreyfus. They're not public. So there are only two public companies in this industry, both American companies. And the last one would be a company called Cartiva AgriSciences. The symbol is CTVA. A little over a year ago, Dow Chemical and DuPont merged. In that merger, they said, we're going to spin off our seed and, and crop protection businesses into a separate company. DuPont always had a seed and crop protection. What I mean by that is they, they grow the corn seeds, soybean seeds, and so on. Crop protection is uh, herbicides, uh, fungicides, all the pesticides. Certiva is the only U.S. company left in that industry of, of any size. Uh, Syngenta was bought. Monsanto was bought. And so Cartiva is the only one. I think portfolio managers will ultimately gravitate to it to get that exposure. It's, it's the one choice. And all of these trade on the major New York exchanges? All of those trade in the United States. We focus a lot on small cap stocks here, you know, because the junior mining industry is essentially the exploration arm and development arm for the major gold companies. Is there any uh, correlated thing that you focus on in the agricultural industry, maybe small cap agricultural stocks? Well, the problem we, the problem we have in this industry, Bill, is it's an old industry. And and it had, up until a dozen years ago, it had been a quiet, sleepy businesses. And all of a sudden, a dozen years ago, it came alive. And we haven't seen yet uh, the emergence of a lot of these small companies. You want? I mean, there's some interesting ones out there. I like stock has done horribly this year, is WFCF, which is where food comes from. They they verify, you want to sell organic food, or you want to uh, sell some certified type of food product, these are the people that audit you and verify that you do it. And, for example, in cattle, you we, today we track a cow from the day it's born till the day it's on your, served on your plate. And I can, there are restaurants where you can go in there and they'll have the QR code on the menu and you can do it and see where your steak came from if you want to. A, a little one that I'm kind of watching, Bill, I, and this is not a recommendation, 
is uh, BNET. And this is a company that's looking at treating the waste from uh, animal production. And so there's a couple of those out there, but uh, we're just not seeing the the uh, development of these small companies. There's a lot of private ones, but they just haven't come public yet. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. What about when it comes when it comes to the healthy trends as it relates to the food production industry? I had a friend several years ago uh, that left his corporate job and actually started a grass-fed and grass-finished uh, beef cattle uh, farm, and I purchased most of my beef from him and at a significant premium to what you could buy at Walmart or another nationwide grocer. And then you have the whole non-GMO or organic trend. Obviously, Amazon bought Whole Foods, so one could say potentially they have a fraction of their investment if they own Amazon, you know, in this organic movement. But what would be some key event investments that you would point out that could be good for? those that are wanting to capitalize on this trend? It, again, with the organic, say, say the grass food, grass-fed meat movement, organic, the producers tend to be individual farmers. And what they've done is sell to Whole Foods or, or Walmart. They, the buyers directly go to the farmers and sign a contract with them. Um, so it just really isn't, unless you want to go buy a farm, uh, a real place for investors to go there yet. And I say that yet, I, I, while not arguing one way or other on organic or grass fed, uh, people do want that product and will buy it regardless of the price. What are your observations regarding the the price of farmland? Let's you and I are in the U.S., so let's have this focus on, in on the U.S. But U.S. farmland um, pricing and, and the trends there. What are you observing? And are there any ETFs or things that investors could utilize to potentially profit from that? Farmland prices. Yeah, I mean, it took a hit this year with the trade war and the weather and all of that. If an investor has the money to buy a farm, I highly recommend it. I mean, I have most of my assets invested in a farm. There is one company that just seems to be ignored. It's a Brazilian company. And I think investors, uh, there's always a tendency to want to put your money in your home country. Well, I think we're learning that the world is a 
whole host opportunities. One of them is A-G-R-O. Let me pull up my list here so I'm not saying something stupid. Uh, This is a company that was formed by the uh, Soros family. Now, I don't, if you don't like the sources, that's fine. But they got a lot of money. <laughs> and they put this company together. It's A-G-R-O. It, the name is Adeco Agra, S-A. It's a Brazilian company, but it trades in the United States. And so all the financials are in English. It has to file with the SEC. And the Soros family companies own 20% of it. And, and again, don't take your personal opinion source to the bank. This is a company that investors have simply ignored. And I think it, it is one way to play the long-term value of farmland. In the United States, we've got a REIT. But I just, it's done so badly, and I don't really like the management, so I don't recommend it. But that's one to look at. And I think, Bill, it's important that investors, again, when it comes to this industry, you've got to take a global approach that understand that the largest pork company in the world is WH Group, which is a Chinese company. One of the largest food companies in Asia produces palm oil. And it's, it's Wilmar. And palm oil, Bill, is the most important vegetable oil in the world. More palm oil is consumed than any other vegetable oil. And if you live, if you live in the United States, you couldn't find palm oil if you had to. <laughs> So you've got to you've got to take a global approach and what what people around the world eat. Ned, uh, you have a lot of mining predominant mining investors uh, listening to you because of the name of this podcast, which is Mining Stock Education. What could you teach us about how the agricultural cycle differs from uh, the mining cycle and how agricultural commodity markets, the supply and demand fundamentals, differ from that of mined commodities? The, the beauty of agri-commodities, now I'm not talking about futures, Bill. I'm talking about agri-commodities, is they are consumed. Nobody buys a railroad car of corn as a collectible. They buy it to consume it. And it's globally diversified. In other words, rice trades in every country in the world. Corn in almost every country of the world. So that the weakness in any one part of the world is offset by the strength in another part of the world. So they're uniquely diversified and and they're not as sensitive to what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates or things like that. People are eating this stuff, and they're going to eat it every year of their life. So it's a different demand structure. And what about the cycle, uh, the price cycle of agricultural commodities? How does that compare to mining? 
you will have a price you may have a price cycle in some commodity. We're having a price cycle in in U.S. soybeans and corn right now, but that has says nothing about the price cycle in something else. So that you don't have one price cycle. That's the problem with gold and silver, or any of the other precious metals. Is is that they tend to have a cycle that hits all the gold investments or all the silver investments. We don't have that problem because of the global diversification and agri-commodities. So agri-commodity investing ought to put some stability in your portfolio, which makes it easier to lift with the volatility of precious metals. And what's your long-term outlook versus the S&P 500 with agricultural commodities? Well, over the last 12 years, agri-equities have outperformed the S&P 500. And because of the demand structure, in other words, agri-commodity prices are driven by world income growing faster than our ability to produce, expand the production of food. So the long-term outlook is very good. I mean, we're going to be eating something when apple is forgotten. So you're bullish, to conclude. I'm bullish. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm bullish. (laughs) And then your website is agrifoodvalueview.com. As we conclude, uh, what can you share with listeners about your newsletter? It's structured in a way to educate the investor. The average investor does not know anything about agriculture. And so we, I try and write in a way that explains things so that you'll learn something more than a symbol. I'm not going to just tell you a symbol. We're going to talk about why the price of corn is going up or down and make you a smarter investor so you'll make better decisions yourself. Again, the website is agrifoodvalueview.com. Ned, I appreciate you coming on Mining Stock Education today. Thank you very much. All right, Bill. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.